and welcome to this week's episode of Across the Cemetery. My name's Emma. And my name's Josh. And today's episode is going to be a little bit different. So we're actually on holiday this week. So we're pre-recording it and scheduling the episode to come out on our usual Friday slot, even though it hasn't been usual for a long time. But it is usual now. <laughs> um, so this episode is going to be a bit shorter, I think, than usual. Um, but we're going to get straight into the good stuff. So... As we're going on holiday and we are going to Spain, do you know of any Spanish ghost stories and don't instantly go to... Lila Rona? Exactly. <laughs> no, I do. Well, I don't know it, but I've heard of El Coco or El Coca. That's like the bogeyman of Spain or Portugal. I'm not really sure which is, but I've heard about it on TikTok, I think it is. And it eats like bad children or yeah, so that's something I did read about as I was doing my research. But I haven't gone into like the folklore side of things with these stories. Uh, so, okay. would you like me to just jump into the first one? Yeah, go on. So, there will be some butchering of Spanish words, obviously, because uh, we're just uncultured swines. But you were good with Spanish. You snored your beer, surely. <laughs> El beer, por favor. <laughs> El beer. <laughs> the beer. <laughs> Do you think beer is beer in Spanish? It is. It's B I E R, isn't it? That's German. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, kicking off our Spanish adventure, we find ourselves in the Catalonian region. More specifically, we are in Cardona, a small town that has a long and varied history. Adorning one of the steep hilltops in the town is a grim, overbearing structure that sits menacingly on its perch keeping a watchful eye over the land surrounding. Built originally in around the year 886, the castle named Parador de Cardona has played host to various occupants. From rich families through to kings with no crowns, there are a thousand tales that this place could tell. Yet we're concerned with its present owners, Paradoras, who are capitalising on the sheer size of the building and its incredible architecture by running it as a hotel. This means that thousands of people each year visit the establishment to take in the luxuries on offer and relax. And that is more often than not achieved. Well, that is of course assuming you aren't staying in room 712. Both staff and guests alike have reported a multitude of unexplainable activity. The more tame end of the activity spectrum is comprised of guests explaining that they have trouble sleeping in the room due to feeling an unease. The source of that feeling cannot be explained, yet it persists. Staff working in the hotel have resorted to entering the room only when in pairs. This is due to the fear that an undetectable being will make an appearance when the staff are cleaning the room. The activity reported from room 712 isn't just restricted to feelings of unease. Some have claimed the furniture has moved of its own accord, sliding across the floor from an unknown source of propulsion. Although, this may be down to the figure that sits just outside the field of vision, the noticeable silhouette that evaporates when you attempt to affix your consciousness on it. Despite the figure not wanting to be identified, it is thought that the identity of the spirit is known. During the 11th century, the castle was occupied by one Viscount Raymond Flotch and his family. Flotch had a young daughter named Adelise, who was being educated and prepared for a life among Spanish high society. 
However, Adelise had different plans. In among the many visitors to the castle was a young Muslim by the name of Abdallah, who attended frequently under the guise of business. But he paid keen attention to the Viscount's daughter and the feeling was reciprocated. Adelise had made up her mind that this was the man she wanted to marry and start a life with, but she knew that her father would not approve of the relationship. Once she had made her feelings clear to the Viscount Flotch, her fears became realised. Her father was furious. He ensured Abdallah was no longer allowed on the castle grounds again. Adelise protested her father's actions and tried to get him to change his point of view, agree to the marriage and allow his daughter to be happy. The Viscount didn't budge. In a fit of rage, he used the opportunity to make an example to his subjects that nobody can disobey the Viscount's wishes, not even his own daughter. Raymond Flotch locked his daughter away in the tower of the castle, giving her only the bare essentials of bread and water for weeks so she could grip onto life by her fingernails. But her loose grip failed, and Adelise died in that tower, maybe of malnutrition, but many believe of a broken heart. It is said that the spirit of Adelise is the one that continues to roam the castle, but is ever-present in room 712, moving furniture and providing feelings of unease to all those who enter. Maybe that's what her soul was restricted to in the afterlife, as that was all she knew in her mortal life. Oh, that nearly made me cry. That's so sad that he just left, like, left her in a tower because she fell in love. Little bastard, wasn't he? Like, you can't help who you fall in love with. I hate a sad ghost story. I like them. I, I've enjoyed them, but I feel sorry for them. Like, no wonder they're stuck here. They had to, they, they've got nothing else to look forward to. Yeah. When this goes out, I'll put a picture up of the actual castle on um, on social media so you can have a look at it because it is quite an overbearing structure. So I'll pause now just to let Emma see it as well. Probably that you don't need to know. So our next story is of the Witches of Zugara Merdi. Located in the foothills of the Western Pyrenees, this picturesque location is one that is beloved by locals and tourists alike. Zugara Merdi translates into Hill of Elm Trees and gives a glimpse into the stunning natural beauty that can be found in the area. Complementing the trees above ground are the profound caves that play host to a dark and mysterious side of the luscious plant life that can be found above ground. However, this beautiful landscape has secrets that it probably hoped time would bury away. During the early 1600s, this was the location of the world's largest witch trial. 53 people were accused of witchcraft during this time. It was a campaign led by the Spanish Inquisition and they zoned in on this region for a few very obscure reasons. The aim of the Inquisition was to rid Spain of infidels, ensuring the land was filled with only the pure. The Basque region of which Zugara Merde is located was at the time somewhat isolated. The people there were told to be a rudimental means and not very sophisticated in their dialect or manners. Furthermore, as the area was cut off from the main towns and cities, the locals would often resort to concocting their own homemade remedies for illnesses and ailments. Remedies that would be sourced from what was on hand, namely plants and other basic materials. Also, for large periods of the time, the area was mainly populated by women as the men would travel to the coast to find work on ships for months at a time. This was enough for the Inquisition to be firm in their mindset that the area was simply full of witches and pagan worshippers. 
However, the tip of the iceberg for the Inquisition came in the form of a local from Zugara Mary. She had returned from France and, as the legend goes, proclaimed proudly to her village that she had taken part in witchcraft activities while living in France. The local priest then began to spout sermons on witchcraft and the telltale signs of those completing the devil's work. Swaves of accusations came in with the locals taking the exaggerated statements to heart and claiming that their neighbours were witches. The priest then declared that if those accused came to the church, confessed they were a witch, then they would be forgiven. However, he evidently changed his mind as once all those 53 people came forward, the priest demanded that they go and ask forgiveness from the Spanish Inquisition themselves. And so the trek began. A long and arduous journey through the rural terrain to the city of Lagrono. Once at their destination, those accused were not greeted with forgiveness and sanctuary. They were subjected to 15 months of imprisonment and torture, resulted in trials that were witnessed by 30,000 people. Humiliation and degrading parades were made in the first instance to show the people what alleged witches look like. And the main event? Those who admitted to being witches were tied up and sold off like livestock. Those who continued to deny their ties with the devil? Burned alive. Accusations of witchcraft ravaged through Spain. And soon after, they were not taken seriously by the Spanish Inquisition. Potentially on the realisation that they had wrongly punished innocent citizens. As for the picturesque region of Zugara Mary, well, mysterious caves that are rumoured to have an air of unease about them may stem from this very story. Maybe that air of unease is the unrested souls of the 53 wrongly accused locals, roaming their homeland in a hope to find peace again. Oh, that's horrible. Did they sold them off? What were they selling them off for? What do people want them for? Just be slavery or something, won't it? It's disgusting, that. The fact that he said, if you come forward, it'll be okay. And then they came forward and it wasn't okay. I'd like to know why all 53 of them listened to him when he said, do you know what, actually, you're not going to get forgiveness from me. What I'm going to ask you to do is take this long trek through the fucking mountains to the people who don't want you here. And ask them for forgiveness, because I'm sure they'll say, yeah, okay, that's fine. Well, if they didn't, he might have told on them, and then they would have got burnt alive. Yeah, potentially. So, lose-lose situation, isn't it? Catch-22 for them. Yeah. So that wasn't so much of a ghost story. That that was actual history. That did happen. That was provable. There is... Evidence of that Books and shit that say so. Books and shit. (laughs) Science, bitch. (laughs) I fucking hate people who are nasty to witches. Yeah, it's all changed now, hasn't it? Or just women in general. That's another story as well. So the final story I have is a apparent true story, a real uh, experience from somebody. From who, someone's fame. Who's yes, who has uh. posted it on the internet, so it must be true. Books and shit. No, this is internet and shit. <laughs> I always get chills when I remember this experience because it was the first and only time I clearly saw an individual I could call a ghost. I usually hear and feel them or see shadows or smoky figures. Not this time. I could clearly see every detail. I live in Barcelona. 
A few years ago, I went on a weekend trip with a couple of friends to a very small and very old village in the vicinity of Teruel in rural Spain. The house we were in belonged to one of my friend's family. In Spain, really old houses have the building they carved in the stone over the door. And this house had been built in around 1770. Very old, but nothing too out of the ordinary. The interior had been completely remodeled with IKEA furniture. It was the middle of February and we were freezing. I had a small electric blanket for the night and I had trouble getting to sleep because of the cold. All the lights were off and my bedroom door was ajar. Suddenly, the hall light went on, but I dismissed it thinking it was one of my friends going to the bathroom. Then my door opened a little, so I had to look. A child of maybe eight or nine stood in the doorway, staring at me, grasping onto the door with one hand. He had a very round, pale face with big dark eyes. He wore a white shirt and brown shorts with suspenders. I think he also had a brown cap. He sort of grew wispy below the knees. The outfit made me think of what boys typically wore during the 40s or perhaps earlier. Now, I might have years of experience seeing ghosts, but that doesn't mean I'm cool about it. I panic each time I see one. In this case, I ducked under the covers trembling, not of the cold anymore, and thinking, not again. A few moments later, I felt the light go off, so I dared a peek. As I pulled the covers off, I came face to face with the boy. He was standing right beside my bed, my worst ever nightmare come true. By then, the encounter was turning into a bad horror movie, so I ducked under the covers again and thought happy thoughts until I eventually fell asleep. In the ghost boy's defence, I have to say that he was in no way aggressive. He actually had a puzzled look, as if wondering what the heck I was doing in his room. Still, I was absolutely terrified. The next morning, I had no recollection of what had happened. At around lunchtime, my friends and I went to visit a nearby ghost town that had been destroyed during the Civil War. And all of a sudden, the entire encounter came screaming back to me. When I told my friends, they asked me please not to mention it because the rest of the family was scared enough already. It turns out the entire family has heard footsteps and seen doors open and close in the house. It's a good thing I'm never going back there again. At first he said he'd never seen a ghost before, he used to just hear them, and then he, throughout the story, he was going, not again. So, he usually just hears them, so maybe he's seen one before, and it was like the worst experience he's had. Uh, or she. Yeah, it could be a boy or girl. I think, I don't like kid ghosts anyway, I think they're scary anyway. But the kid might have not noticed that he was a ghost, he might have just thought that he still lived there from when he was younger. And he was like, like he said in the story, why is this person in my room? Yeah, he's just fucking going about his day and some cunts in his bed. Yeah. Well, it's an Ikea bed. It's replaced with an Ikea bed. Yeah, I don't... I, I think he was in the story. That was like sort of setting the scene of the of the house, but it was a bit of I'm a weird... <laughs> no, I'm just saying it was a weird sort of thing to add in, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, But then it's like adding that it's modern now inside. But then again, I can picture exactly how it is, so... Very you know detective. That, you know that scene on Fight Club at the beginning when they have the like the <laughs> monologue, monologue, montage, and then it has all like the bits of IKEA catalog in it. That's what I thought of when he was saying it. I thought that story was good. I, I, I don't think that was not real. 
especially if the family have already mentioned it. Yeah, so you would expect in a house that was made in seventeen seventies, it must be very old, obviously it's a very old house. There's a lot of history going on there, so there must be something within the walls, something sticking around. What's that phenomenon where they they call it the the, the bricks? I was just about to say that like certain energy like stays in the bricks or something. Yeah, it, it the name escapes me at the moment. So it's not like there might not be a ghost there. It might just be that something happens when the energy is just stored yeah, in, yeah. in the in the in the building itself. So it's just sort of replaying. So maybe that was one of the past occupants just coming back, and it's the two energies, the two planes of cross paths unintentionally, and that's how they saw each other. It's probably scary for the ghost and probably scary for the human. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it makes sense as well because uh, children are quite inquisitive. Yeah. So if they see you in their house, they're probably going to be quite trusting to start with. Yeah, the kids are innocent, aren't they? So they never look like they go up to strangers and everything. Yeah, but especially if, if you're in their home. They probably think that yeah, yeah. you must be okay because you're in my home. Yeah, my mum or dad have let you in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, I that that's where I'm going. I I do believe that story. I think it's. I didn't think it was that scary, like compared to kids' ghosts, because kid ghost stories are normally terrifying. Yeah, but at the same time, is that not more proof that it's real? Because the person's not exaggerating these yeah. little aspects to try and scare the reader. They're just relaying how it happened. Yeah. That, and how they felt at the time. He's not adding like parts into scare you or to get a jump scare out of you. Yeah, so if I research a story or a phenomenon or whatever, as I'm writing it, I'll try and be a bit descriptive in certain parts to build yeah. up tension or to, to, to set up a scare. He was ju- or They were just writing it as it was. Yeah, this is what happened. This is how I felt. The family also felt like this. Yeah, so it sort of backs up their point. Yeah. So, overall, what do you think of the three stories? Which was your favourite? I like the witch. Well, I didn't like the witches one, but I like the witches one because I like witches. But I don't like the way they were treated. I like the first one as well. Yeah, that. I th- Do you know what? I like them all. I can't really pick a favorite. I like the little boy ghost as well. <laughs> we're all winners here. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that you didn't like mention La Llorona, even though. That's because that's a Mexican one. Oh yeah, but that's the only one I know. So. Yeah, so that's that's Mexican. So that's why I ri- literally you see in the start of my notes there were just discussion points I didn't write a word for word notes. But yeah. my note was you're gonna say La Llorona, which is an interesting subject, and we probably I will like cover it, it at yeah. some point. But not applicable She's to not this Spanish. episode. She speaks Spanish. Speaks Spanish, but yeah. isn't Spanish. <laughs> so yeah, that was part of the issue because obviously there's many many Spanish speaking yeah. nations in the world. So finding stories that are from Spain. Obviously, there are loads of them because it's a massive country, but a lot of them cross over into different parts of the world. We'll have to see if there's any of the place that we're going to and look at the house we're staying at, if they've got, like, the thing above the door, like they said on the... I think they do, but it's not that old. It's not as old as that, no. No, but it's fairly modern. I didn't think that was haunted. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, we'll research into the locality while we're there, I think. And Might be a ghost tour. And maybe Emma will actually treat you to some, you know, social media posts. Oh, okay. Because that's her job. That's her role in, in this podcast. Not just that. No, it's not, not just that, but she is in charge of social media. All right, aren't we then? 
literally. <laughs> and talk about social media, you can contact us or find us or just be our friends. Not on Facebook because we're not there, but on Instagram we're on we're at across the cemetery, TikTok and Twitter we're at ax the cemetery. And if you'd like to leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on, that would be very beneficial because we'd like to know what you think about us and also it helps get the podcast known. Thank you for listening and we'll see you when we get back. Thank you. Bye. Our emails at acrossthecemetery at gmail.com. Oh yeah, you can also email us if you have any stories about Spain or whether you would like to recommend places in Spain. Thank you. Bye.